how can we increase the chances that our audience will truly get what we mean? With clarity. I'm Daphna. Welcome to Let's Clarify It, where we'll explore how to communicate our innovative ideas in ways that lead to the results and impact we set out to achieve. Every day we encounter so many opportunities for meaningful exchanges. Let's make the most of them by being perfectly clear. In a world of millions of offers, how can yours stand out to the right audience? By recognizing that your brand is your most valuable asset and cultivating it accordingly. And how can small entrepreneurs distinguish themselves and create their brands even without the huge budgets of big corporates? By having absolute clarity as to what they offer and communicating how they are different. Bridging this gap between the best brand strategies of the world's most respected brands and the challenge of motivated, mission-driven, first-time entrepreneurs seeking authentic, effective market presence is at the heart of the work of my dear friend, Simon Radcliffe. At his consultancy, Simon guides those in their early steps of bringing their important work into the world by helping them craft their brand and its messages and manifestations in alignment with their values, such that they resonate with their audiences. With decades of practical accumulated wisdom in the global corporate branding scene, resulting in spot-on insights and a wealth of creative ideas, a kind smile, and a genuine passion to help others succeed and thrive, Simon is a breath of value-driven, logical, applicable fresh air in a world often ridden with cynical marketing tactics. Join us for episode 18 of Let's Clarify It, in which Simon shares why getting your frame and perspective right are as important as understandable words. What does his podcast, Turning the Tables, on the inspiring stories of people who have overcome adversity to find new meaning, have in common with the branding strategies of first-time entrepreneurs, and why posters are his favorite form of communication. Curious? Let's clarify it. Hi, Simon. Good morning. How are you? Great. Thanks very much for having me, Daphne. Thanks for coming on. And I can't wait for us to meet in person. I can't believe that we've developed the friendship that we've developed this year entirely online. It is amazing, really. We are quite far apart, I guess, you being in Israel and me in London. Even if we were outside of the pandemic, we probably struggle to organize something. <laughs> well, we certainly wouldn't be able to get together every week, but <laughs> I, look <forward laughs> to, I look forward to an opportunity soon. Simon, why don't you tell the people who aren't yet your friends, though by the episode, they're sure likely to become your friends too. Why don't you tell them what it is that you're doing these days? You're working on some exciting things. Right. That's a, a more difficult question than one might imagine, actually, because I guess there's a previous life and, the, and there's a, a current life. So in my previous life, I started in advertising. I was in some big global advertising agencies, probably for about 25 years, working on some wonderful big accounts with some glamorous advertising budgets. And whilst it wasn't quite the madman of the TV series, it wasn't far short. 
But then uh, latterly in my career, I set up a brand consultancy with a colleague of mine who I'd worked with for many years. And that was more about brand strategy and working with big companies and advising them on how to develop their brands, researching their target audience and those kind of things and helping them innovate. So it's taking some of the skills that I learned in advertising, but perhaps moving it into a more strategic direction. And that company we built over about 10 years and then sold it. Yeah, so that part of my life is now over. And then I had an interlude for a health issue, which has sort of led to a, a something of a renaissance. So now I have three different working lives. One of them is a podcast, which is called Turning the Tables, which is um, helping people see through the other side of adversity. The second thing is I work with a startup run by a young, very talented founder who's super impressive. I'm old enough to be his father, but he certainly taught me an awful lot and hopefully I've helped him guide him a little bit along the way as well. That's been really interesting. It's in an area of technology and we basically offer people a very convenient car valeting and detailing service. So for people who have no time to wash their cars, we sort that out for them. So that's very exciting and we're looking for funding and that's, you know, a classic startup journey. And then the the final piece of the jigsaw is is starting a brand coaching practice, which is bringing my skills from working with many great brands to first-time entrepreneurs, people who don't necessarily have access to the skills that one would have access to if one was in a big company with big marketing departments and big budgets. So I, I feel to some extent I'm trying to help people get on the first run of building a successful business. Oh, you are. For sure you are. I certainly <laughs> experienced that this year. I've been fortunate enough to participate in some of your coaching sessions and in some of your sprints, and they've been very, very informative. So when you think about first-time entrepreneurs, what is their actual need in terms of branding? What don't they know that they need to know? I think at its most basic if you can create a brand, it's one of the strongest assets you will have as a business. I think as a first-time entrepreneur, you have so many balls to keep up in the air. You're the admin assistant, the financial director, the product development person, the marketing person. You, you've got so many different roles that the actual getting your product or service to market is obviously a challenge. However, if you're thinking big longer term, you might well be starting very small, but if you're thinking big, then having and being able to build a brand is going to be one of the most important things you can do because it will help you transcend just the logic and the practical reality of your product and create something which has more meaning in the minds of your target customer. And that's been proven, obviously, by many, many huge and successful brands that we all know and love, whether that's Nike, Google, Amazon, you, you name it. They built very successful brands and that's had a multiple of value to their business. And what's the role of clarity within all of that? Here we are and let's clarify it where we're trying to help these researchers and entrepreneurs understand how they can be even more effective in their high stakes communication. Where does clarity figure into communicating your brand? I think clarity is incredibly important because it's a bit of a cliche, but of course we live in a world where there are 
literally millions of offers being put to people all the time, millions of needs, millions of different companies competing for every consumer's attention. And particularly when you're a first-time entrepreneur, I think you've got to recognize that that's what you're moving into. So how do you cut through all that for a customer? How do you distinguish yourself? And the only way you can do that is by having absolute clarity on what it is you offer, what's the need you're satisfying, and how are you different and more unique, to use that word, than any of the other offers that are available to people to choose. And so that clarity of brand message is absolutely vital. Can you think of a time when clarity of your own message actually helped you achieve some goal that you set out to achieve? That's a tough question. Well, I, I think in a previous in a previous life, I, I think probably I've seen many examples of advertising campaigns that really have captured the imagination of people because they've understood something really well about the product in that communication. And I'm reminded of a, of a campaign, very, very famous campaign for the VW Beetle, which was launched in America. Now it's launched against the backdrop of a car that was built in a foreign country coming into a nation which extolled the virtues of big cars, classic looking cars. And here was this Beetle, which looked frankly, ugly. It was small and had many, many strange components to it. Yet there was communication which reframed that in a way that really caught people's imagination. And the very famous ad, I think, believe written by David Ogilvy, was simple headline, lemon, which is shorthand for oddball, not very good, and that twist on that car captured people's imagination. Uh, I think the line that was with it was, we pick the lemons so you can enjoy the plums or something of that. I'm probably butchering that, but something of that nature. I think clarity has a number of dimensions. I think clarity is not just, do I understand what you're saying? It's framing things in a way that captures people's imagination. I think that's an important constituent of what you do as a communication professional is you understand it's not just, are you telling me this in a way that I can understand it? You know, there are many more layers to clarity of communication. And very often it's about the specific context of the audience and how they would perceive it and what they need to hear right now. Absolutely. And that reminds me, I kind of in my career, I spent many times talking to consumers about all manner of things. But the thing I found which had the greatest value was talking to people about their lives and the context within, they might, within which they are living and they might consume whatever product or service we were researching, not talking to them directly about that product. Because you learn so much about their lives, you know, what are the things that motivate them, their struggles, their challenges. And if you can frame your product or service in the context of that, you end up with better communication. 
Super. So at the other end, can you think of a time when you were actually misunderstood despite your best effort and thinking that you had carefully constructed a really clear message and somehow you understood that your audience interpreted you entirely differently from what you had intended? I think it's probably such a long list. I really don't know where to start. <laughs> I feel I'm constantly misunderstood, particularly by my children. Um, <laughs> I haven't necessarily got a specific example, but I think, again, that the thing you have to most understand in communication is perspective and how people come at situations from different perspectives. Going back to that word framing, how do we frame something? Framing makes a huge difference. So for some people, having something that's more convenient is a godsend for them framing of that saves them time in their life for another set of people that convenience is all about laziness it's not about purpose it's not about truth and words like that that's just a different framing the classic glass half full versus glass half empty i think is the is a very obvious analogy really so i think misunderstanding often comes from that misunderstanding of someone's framing of a situation and somebody's behavior. Because the communicator chose one frame and the audience default frame is a different one. So what the communicator is saying is not what resonates with them. Indeed. And anyone who has ever studied NLP, neuro-linguistic programming, will understand that that analysis very clearly identified that we all absorb our communication in different ways. Some people are visual, some people are auditory, and some people are kinesthetic. And I remember many occasions when it was drilled into us in my early career in advertising that you need to tick all the boxes when you present an idea to a client. It's no good you reading out a script, as wonderful and beautiful as that script is, if there are no pictures and you can't articulate that idea in a much more human way to someone. Because if that client prefers their communication visually, it may miss the mark, even if it's a great idea, and vice versa. So I think that's a really key component of any communication. It's understanding and mirroring the communication style of the person you're communicating with. Totally. And I find that with the audiences that I work with, say researchers, the complexity of the subject matter increases the challenge of communicating it beyond the framing, just the actual essence of the information. Tell me, Simon, I'm sure that along such a long and illustrious career in advertising, there must have been some accounts that were particularly challenging in terms of you've got this big idea, you've got this concept, and you want to help the client convey it to their target audiences. What's one of those big communication challenges that you faced and how did you find a creative solution to communicate it? Okay, well, uh, let me give you one example I can think of. So a client of ours had a shirt business. It was a classic businessman's shirt business sold online. And the brand was actually called Charles Tirrett. And it was founded in German Street, which is a famous street in London where very well-tailored clothes tend to be sold. So this brand, Charles Tirrett, did this very classic range of men's shirts in classic colours and styles. 
sold direct to the consumer. And there are others, other brands of a similar ilk, and they're all competing with each other. And we were charged with identifying what was the unique difference in that particular brand. And this is quite a difficult challenge. Because at the end of the day, a shirt is a shirt, and there's only so much better it can be tailored, and there's only so much better the quality of the fabric, because obviously it was priced at a reasonable price point, and it was very good on all those components. But we felt that this brand had to be more than about the making, it had to be something else. And through a lot of research we did, we identified that there was something really that happened when somebody put on one of their shirts. It was a transformation. It was a transformation in the confidence that person felt when they walked into a meeting, when they're in a presentation, they felt they were well-dressed, well-presented and more confident to deliver whatever they had to deliver. So we came up in the end with this brand promise, brand proposition called Confident Edge. So Charles Tirrett was all about Confident Edge. And that became the motive for the brand. That became the communication message that they took on. And an example, I think, of how brand thinking can give you a point of difference. So you help that company sell not shirts, but confidence. That's what Indeed. they were selling to business people. They, they, were they, were, they were selling confidence. They were selling putting on that shirt made you feel like you were going to get the deal. What a great idea. Super creative. I hear you talking a lot about meaningful brands, right? And about the importance, certainly in today's mission-driven entrepreneurship, although sometimes that gives me the sense of kind of a connotation of, of not-for-profit, of people who are doing good in the world, not necessarily people who are looking at their bottom line financially. Would you say that even the very for-profit companies like selling shirts, people who aren't necessarily trying to, I mean, confidence is a super important thing, but could even that entrepreneur become a meaningful brand? Is that what made it a meaningful brand? Is confidence an example of, of taking just somebody selling good quality shirts and making it into a meaningful brand? Yeah, I think that is an example, although I think that was some years back. I think now the whole agenda has changed. I think what we now see is consumers much more sophisticated in their choices, many more choices question becomes how do you differentiate yourself and people are looking for the companies they buy from to offer more to have a strong philosophy and a strong belief and thinking beyond just the transaction with the customer now you point out the obvious examples of businesses which think about their working practices businesses which think about the planet in terms of the recyclability of products and Obviously, there is a non-profit dimension of that. However, I think it's now very much in the remit of every business to think about how they operate in the wider context. What are they doing over and beyond that transaction with that customer that sets them apart, that gives them true value to a consumer? And obviously, that might be some charitable angle, but often it's more than that. It's more about contributing to the community within which you work, thinking about who you employ, the diversity of who you employ, how are you supporting a local community? Totally, totally. Do you have role models for clarity of communication? Are there some people that you think of that you think, wow, 
they've got it figured out. And when they communicate a message, the audience absolutely understands their intention. It's a tricky one, isn't it? Because there are moments when many people have great clarity, but not necessarily all the time. And it's hard to have single role models. I mean, I think in the context of us in Britain, Winston Churchill has always been deemed to be an amazing communicator, amazing orator. He communicated at a time when people really needed clarity and confidence. And his famous speech is a great example of that scene in many films since. So I would put him up there. In a different way, I would pick Richard Branson, not because he's necessarily particularly articulate as an individual. In fact, sometimes he comes across as quite inarticulate. But he has great clarity in the way he communicates ideas. So if you think of the Virgin Brand, it had a tremendous idea, which was David versus Goliath. It was taking on the institutions. It was putting the consumer first in markets where the consumer was largely treated poorly in many cases. If we think of banking, we think of the airline industry. So I admire him. There are many other examples. I mean, one person I actually worked with who was a great communicator was a chap called Dave Trott. And he was one of the partners in an agency called Gold Greenleaf Trott. He had a happy knack of coming up with amazing ideas and being a great communicator. And he was famous because he came up with the lip-smacking, thirst-quenching, ever-fizzing, et cetera, et cetera, Pepsi line, which is very famous. But he also came up with this brilliant idea for a part of London, which was developed many years back, called the Docklands. And the thing with the Docklands was it was a part of the East End of London, which was largely quite difficult to reach from the centre of London. Yet it was obviously in the context, it was still in what was deemed to be the centre of London, but it was across the river and it was hard to get to and there wasn't many transport links. And this was deemed to be a development area in London. And so they created this entity called the Docklands. And then the challenge was, how do we get people to take this seriously as a place to work, a place to live, so early, you know, none of the infrastructure's in, how do we get it? And he came up with this wonderful line, which was plastered on posters all around London, which was, why move to the middle of nowhere when you can move to the middle of London? Just such a great encapsulation of the reality of, of course, it was in the centre of London. And for all those people who are thinking, well, where should I move? It captured that idea brilliantly. So I admire Dave Trott. Nice. What's your favourite kind of communication? That's a good question, actually. And I think the answer is a poster. I think the answer is a poster because a poster is the form of communication which challenges you most to get your headline message and your visual message absolutely spot on. You haven't got the advantage of being in a newspaper where you can run long copy. So, you know, you can get away with perhaps communication that isn't quite perfect. In a poster, you have to nail it. People drive by, walk by. They're not going to give you a moment unless you capture their imagination, either with your headline or with your picture or both. 
Wow. So think about a conference, right? When you've got people milling around a conference center back when, and hopefully soon again, when people are actually meeting at convention centers, sometimes people make a presentation in an auditorium, but sometimes they're given a poster session and then they're manning a booth and they've got a poster up on the wall and people are milling about and they're coming and they're stopping there and reading it. So what would you recommend if somebody, say a researcher with a really complex topic or a tech entrepreneur is going to be presenting their startup at a booth at a conference? What does that poster need to include given that it needs to be self-explanatory? That poster needs to reach out to your audience. It needs to reflect something about that audience, not about your product. Many people in those situations will think, how can we describe our product? What are we great about? What's good about us? Whereas if you flip that and say, what is it that the people who are in this event, what is most going to engage them? What's their need? What's their motivation? How can I interrupt their journey with something that reaches out to them? I'm not saying you'd never mention the product, obviously you would, but the key thing is to start with that insight about people who are at that event. Is that because the purpose of such a poster is parallel to the same reason you would send somebody a one-pager, namely to get on their radar and for them to be able to make a dichotomous quick decision, interested to hear more, not interested to hear more, the follow-up from such a poster or a one-pager being, you know what, let's have a proper meeting about it and hear the whole story? Yeah. I mean, you could frame it by saying, fill in the dots. Why stop here? Dot, 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 dot. Why stop here? So if you're in a conference, and you're milling around, and you want to grab people to answer the question, why should someone stop here? Great question. Absolutely. <laughs> Have you been to a lot of those types of conferences? In the past, many. <laughs> Did you enjoy them? Did you like that aspect of the work? Uh, I can't say that was my favourite. What was your favorite? I much preferred one-to-one conversations. I mean, I used to really enjoy one-to-one conversations with my clients and where you get, I think you get a deeper insight into what's going on. Just a personal preference, I guess. So is that what you're going to bring with you now that you start working with first-time entrepreneurs one-on-one? Well, as much as I can on an online basis, yes. There are many different types of courses that are out there. Um, Many of them are projected to very large numbers of people, and it's very hard to have any personal component. But the way I'm thinking about executing, although I am executing, my online classes is a much more smaller groups and a more personal connection, because I think that's how value is delivered. And even though digital is obviously so much more scalable, and we've certainly all learned in the pandemic about the advantages, and as I told you earlier, The fact that yesterday I went to the first in-person presentation in a long time, the added time of travel, and this was even within my city, the added time of the travel and the administration and logistics surrounding it made it seem so much less time and cost effective rather than just getting on the computer for the duration of the actual work itself. And yet, do you still feel that there are certain premium situations in which actual face-to-face You would prefer working with clients, say, in London who could come to your office, who you could meet at a joint working space, who you would feel the necessity and the justification to actually meet in person? Yeah, I think so. And that's not, I mean, almost that's not really from a business point of view. That's more from uh, enjoying one's work point of view. I think there's a danger that we become so productivity transaction focused that we forget about we are human beings and human beings enjoy contact and 
person-to-person contact is much more rewarding, as we all know. I mean, the pandemic has taught us that. It's basically how much people have missed that from their lives. So I think there's a place for that, most certainly. I can't wait to meet you in person, as I told you. <laughs> Tell Thank me, you, Simon. And you. Just... <laughs> Thanks. It's happening. It's definitely happening. Just a question of time. We're, we're heading there. Simon, independent service providers like you and me, I sometimes feel like people think they can get away with doing our type of work themselves, even though they don't have the qualifications for it, right? Because they think, hey, I know the English language. I know how to talk to people. I know how to write content. I know who my audience is better than an external service provider. When you think about the service of helping a first-time entrepreneur brand their business, how would somebody know when they're at a point that they actually need professional help or when they can actually manage to carry out the assignment themselves in a reasonable manner, especially those who are on tight budgets? What would be the criteria to determine As in my case, I'm sure there are some people that don't hire somebody to help them prepare for a high stakes presentation. They just think, well, I'll do as best I can. Whereas there are others who understand the value of bringing in a professional to help them prepare for something that's very high stakes and to harness that external expertise to their favor. How can somebody know when they need a branding expert and when they can just manage to create their own brand in kind of a self-educated way? Yeah, that's a really good question. And I relate to it completely because I think one of the greatest frustrations when you're in the sort of advertising branding world is that many people think that they have those skills and that they are perfectly able to comment on whether you've got a good idea or a bad idea or whether you should do something this way or that way. We can all be professional communicators in our own minds. I think in the end, you have to make the judgment about how much you value creating something and asking yourself some key questions. Can I really answer some key questions like, who is it for? What's it for? Why should people take any notice of my business? If you can answer those questions with great clarity, then maybe you know enough. And otherwise, the external advice that you receive could be on helping get clarity about who your yeah, audience think, actually is. And I, what I think, you're... yes, I think what you get is some experience to help guide you about what works, what doesn't work, and some of the tools and techniques you can use in order to create something which has great value for your customers and for you. And I think what people perhaps don't always think about is that. Having a brand is not for its own sake. Having a brand will make sure that your message is clearer. It will help your marketing work harder. You'll be spending less money, wasting less money. All of those things are a byproduct of having a clear brand. You'll lose less customers. You'll find it easier to recruit customers because you're communicating to them in the most productive way. Great. So, Simon, your podcast, Turning the Tables, you host really amazing, interesting people who have managed to, you define it as turning around adversity. They've overcome some immense challenge in their lives, and their inspiring stories are something that you share in order to inspire other people. That's not directly related to what you do professionally, and yet it feels to me like there is a through line. Do you feel like there's a through line between your passion for showcasing how people overcome adversity and your passion for helping entrepreneurs bring their businesses successfully into the world? 
I think there is a thread. I think the thread is that if you're going to be successful in your business life, you have to be resilient. You have to be able to overcome setbacks. You have to be able to use your resources to look after yourself as a human being. We don't live to work. We live to live. And so I think in that dimension, having that wider perspective on life, how people have overcome their struggles, most people can't completely compartmentalize their work life from their personal life. And so I think it's seeing people in a more holistic context. And so I think there's things to learn from seeing how other people have taken often incredible adversity that they've come through. I think perhaps it puts things in perspective. For sure. Simon, in conclusion, if you want to just share with us, what's a great communication tip that you've received and that you live by, maybe back from your ad agency days, something that you pass on to others that you find is really helpful? I think this is something that I've learned in general in my working life and my life in general, I think. And it's a little saying, which I shall read to you. The more you look, the more you see, the harder you listen, the more you hear. I think that for me says everything about communication because you have to really listen and you have to listen and you have to understand and you have to look very carefully at things. And if you do that, you're more likely to end up with successful communication, particularly yeah. in our society where we're almost encouraged the opposite of that. You know, we scroll through our social media feed, barely giving anything a second's notice. And I think we miss a lot by doing that. I think it's about that. It's about spending time thinking and listening to people. I certainly enjoy spending time with you and listening to you. <laughs> Simon, thank you so much. I really appreciate your time and your insights as I have all year. And this is a great opportunity to thank you for all of your contributions to my professional development this year and for your friendship. And I look forward to meeting you in person already. Enough with this COVID. Thank you, Daphne. You've been a great friend and thank you so much for doing this podcast. And I hope your listeners will get some small amount of value out of it. I have no doubt that they'll get plenty of value. Thank you. Good luck with relaunching Branding with Simon. And good luck with your new website and have a happy, healthy spring. Thank you. And you. Thank you, Daphne. Thanks for being here with us on Let's Clarify It. I hope you found it helpful. If there are specific topics you'd love to hear covered or you'd like help clarifying your own message, I'd be delighted to hear from you feel free to reach out to me on letsclarify.it. In the meantime, be sure to take good care and clarify your messages to amplify your impact. <laughs>